welcome back to another Daily Walk. Well, today I want to address this question that came up in the comments, and uh, this one was actually asked and commented in a respectful manner, which is somewhat something that does not often happen in the comment sections. And so because it was so respectful and we had some good back and forth, I said, you know, this is not something you can hash out in a comment section. In fact, this is not even something you can hash out in a 10-minute video. There are entire scholarly books written on these. I'd refer you to such things like uh, Thomas Steele, The Five Points of Calvinism, which the, the reason you point to that book is because it will go through the points. It goes to where they came from which is critical to understanding. This isn't something like, oh, John Calvin the heretic said blah, blah, blah. No, absolutely not. I'm not even going to get into the history of that. You can read about it there. Uh, you can read the book by uh, Hunt and White on uh, debating Calvinism because that is a uh, solid Calvinist and a solid Arminius coming together, discussing their points of view and uh, looking at it. And if you read through that with an open mind, you find the Calvinist point of view is the one that's using the scripture to identify its point. All right, so the chief question is this that we're going to be looking at, and we're going to look at we're going to look at a couple specific verses first that I was specifically asked about, and then we're going to go into the principles to answer this particular particular question. So, if God calls Christians, why should we bother preaching? Now, it is a very very simple answer because God tells you to. But I'm going to set this up a little bit better than that by walking through some of the verses. The first thing I want to do is the person who's having this debate listed three specific verses. There's a fourth that most people bring up. I'm not going to bring that one up because I think we're already too short on time. Uh, but I'm going to address the three verses that he had mentioned on this order, which didn't have to do as much with why should we preach, but more about uh, does God choose the elect? So I'm going to look at these three verses. Before we get there, though, I want to highlight where I think the big problem is in modern Christianity is we live in a one-verse culture. Our idea of devotions, which I hate that term, it sounds to me like you're like worshiping some idol or, as Jeremiah says, uh, kneeling to false gods on every green tree. I'm recording this under a green tree. Lord, help me. I'm part of it. All right. But the problem is, is that we read these daily devotionals that give you a single verse and then a good feel-good story that follows exactly 300 words and it uses this formatting. And these these productions are very rigid, rigidly structured. There's an entire industry about around them, about them, and I don't read any of them because every one of them teaches you the same thing. Read your single verse and then here's some story about something tangentially related. The problem is, is that we do not, the, the scripture is not a one verse thing. The single scripture idea is blasphemous to its core because it completely devoids itself of any uh, sustainable context around it. So, but regardless, I was given three verses. Actually, one of them is three verses. Um, so one of them is a section of three verses. The other one are two single individual verses that seem to counteract this idea. Let's go ahead and address those first and think about what I said about one verse culture. The first was 1 John 2, 2. 1 John 2, 2 says, He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So you take that one verse out and you say, well, see, God must, uh, God must save everybody. 
Well, I have a question for you. Is everybody going to heaven? Are you a universalist? If you're not a universalist, then you have to understand that either we are choosing our salvation or God is choosing who chooses his salvation. Those are the, your two real options. Maybe there's a tertium quid out there. We can discuss that politely in the comments as well. But unless, we, unless God is a universalist, unless every single person is going to heaven, this verse which says, he is the propitiation for himself for our sins, not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So if, if Jesus Christ literally died on the cross to save the whole world from their sins, why is everybody not going to heaven? Okay, that's a good question. And so either some people don't get there because their own choice, or some people did not get there because God chose not to pick them. Those are your two points. But what I want to address around this verse is looking at the greater context in John. John is not discussing mechanisms of salvation here. We get mechanisms of salvation in other parts of the scripture. I'm going to point you to those later on. But what we see here is John is talking here, particularly in 1 John chapter 2. And uh, I have a, a whole message about this. I taught once to Sunday school class, and then all the kids told their parents, and then I had to go teach it for the adults too, because everyone loved this. John 2 specifically is not talking about mechanisms of salvation. John 2 is talking about three types of Christians. People who are young in the faith, people who are mature in the faith, and people who are growing in the faith. And so when you look at all the different language here, he's writing it down, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with fa the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. This, by this we know that we, um, we have come to know him and keep his commandments. Okay. He is speaking to very young Christians. He is not expounding deep doctrine. This is why we do not go into your Sunday School 101 and start talking about the five points of Calvinism. It is more advanced doctrine. It's something that you do when you are chewing on the word, not something that you do when you are still sucking on the milk. John, in the early parts of John 2, is talking to really young children. If your children come up to you and say, Mommy, Daddy, where do babies come from? Well, hope they don't ask the teacher in these modern schools. Woo. But if they come and ask you, do you really go into with your four-year-old the fine detail? Well, here's the penis and the sperm and the testes and the woman has the ovaries and you rub it in and, and then you, you don't do that. You explain the very basics. The mommy and a daddy love each other, make a baby. And the four-year-old goes, oh, that's fine. And goes and runs away. Okay, that's exactly what's going on in John 2. John 2 is literally talking to three groups of people. Young Christians, maturing Christians, and mature Christians. Look through, read the whole of the chapter, and you'll understand that. Don't isolate one individual verse. All right, the second verse that he gave us is Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Once again, is God a universalist? Well, what is uh, Titus 2 talking about? When you get into the Titus 2, he's really talking about, uh, he talks about instructions for the church. He starts talking about what the older men should do, the older women should do, what the younger women should do, what the young men should do. He talks about what bond slaves should do. Um, and then he busts into this part. So after going through and explaining how these people should live out their lives in the Christian life, 
Okay, after explaining that, then what he does is he busts in this part that's not an isolated verse 11. He goes through this whole sequence. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. It is the concluding matter is a doxology of I've given you a lot of instructions. This is the Christ behind it all. He is the person who is the Savior. Now, we can also dive into this idea also of the they're the social gospel not like the more heretical social gospel we need to save all the people but what calvin himself even spoke about is as being a social component of salvation people who are not saved but the fact that by coming in proximity to believing in faithful christians your life is going to be more blessed it is the christians who founded the schools in this country the reason our country has a higher or at least had in its early foundations a higher literacy rate is because christians thought it was important for people to read the Bible and so they taught people how to read we thought it was important to have hospitals and so the Christians started the hospitals they started the schools and the whole community whether they believed in God or not benefited from that and we find elements of this in first Corinthians you know a, a, a husband is uh, an unbelieving husband is sanctified by his believing wife whatnot the last verse he gave us is First uh, Timothy chapter two verses three through six, and I've almost crossed ten minutes just talking about these verses. I don't know. Maybe this is a two-part series, and we need to do the other part next week. Uh, maybe we'll do that. Um, so these verses here, uh, Titus. Uh, excuse me. This is First Timothy chapter two verses three through six. Uh, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, and that is the man Jesus Christ. Once again, we're going to ask this question. Is God a universalist? Do you believe everyone's going to heaven? If not, what's the breakdown? Is the breakdown we didn't choose him, or is the breakdown he didn't choose us? That's the ultimate question. And then what drives home with the final question is, if God chooses us, why are we to preach? I think we are still going to end that. We'll just make this one a little bit longer daily walk than I usually like to do. But in this section here uh, in 1 Timothy, this is a call to prayer. It is uh, talking, um, th this one is actually clarified in the Greek. Um, I'll mention that. But it's a call to prayer. He's instructing the, whim the men, the, the women. He's looking at the overseers, the deacons. In the middle of all of this, he brings up this particular section at the beginning of the discussion of prayer, and is as good, uh, this is good and acceptable. What is good and acceptable? Prayers and petitions and thanksgiving made behalf of all men. So he's saying, it doesn't matter who the people are, pray for them. If you think you're a heretic, you think they're, they're saved, you think they're going to heaven, you think they're going to hell, pray for all people. Some people you pray for their salvation. Some people you pray they walk better in Christ. Some people you might pray for their aging liver spots or something. I don't know. But he says, he starts this with, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all in authority so that we may live quiet and tranquil lives in godliness and dignity. Why do we want to live quiet and tranquil lives? We do not really want to be the center of attention. We do not want to be crucified for standing up to the gay rights movement. Unfortunately, we are forced to do it in the midst of such uh, turf. Um, uh, tumultuous times. But this is then, after talking about prayer, then he guides in, this is good and acceptable. What is good and acceptable? The prayer and the petitions on behalf of all men saved or not. 
because this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all them to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So, is this really God saying he desires? Yes, he desires, but not all men are going to. This one here, what I was going to say is in the original language, this word that is translated into desires in verse 4, this is not a, I am going to do it because I am in full control. This is my heart longs for it, whether or not it's going to happen. God knows a lot of his children, or I'd say God knows a lot of people in this world are not going to heaven. Why? Because every one of us is unrighteous. Every one of us is bound for hell. Every one of us. So let's go ahead and talk about these three verses. How do I say every one of us? Well, if you look at Romans, and you should read the whole book of Romans in one day. Read the whole book of Romans. Don't isolate, oh, this verse and that verse. Read the whole thing. You get the concise picture. Chapter 1, how wicked the nations are. Chapter 2, uh, the purpose of the law. Chapter 3, nobody can keep to the law. It goes on and on and on. And then Romans, though, gets into the mechanisms of salvation and some of the points. We're not going to cover all of it. But I want to look at these verses. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. This is after he set up that the mankind is all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. He says this. There is none righteous, not even one. No one who understands. No one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are shift to sweat blood, destruction and miseries in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Okay, none of us seek for God. All of us walk away from God, every one of us. And if God did not intervene, every one of us would go to hell. It is simply by his grace that some do not. Okay, so let's look at John chapter 6, verses 35 and 40. I am the bread of life. Who comes? He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Okay, so if you come to Jesus Christ, if you come to Jesus Christ, you will never hunger, you will never thirst. Coming to Christ is the ultimate thing. But Jesus continues, But I have said to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So that's a part of it. The ones the Father gives to Christ are the ones who come to him. So everyone who comes to me has eternal life. Who comes to him? Those whom the Father has given. That's verse 37. 38, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of one who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds a son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So everyone that the God gives to him, that is the principle. Now, there is a little bit more expounding in, uh, from Jesus in John chapter 10, verses 25 to 30. I told you, and yet you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name are these. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them from uh, out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So we have Jesus explaining the mechanism of salvation. It is those who God gives him who are those who choose him. Okay, we do not choose God all of us seek from God. 
God transforms our heart to want to love and to seek him. That is the prereq. Yes, it is both, but also implicit in this is when God calls you, you cannot resist. That is that irresistible grace in the tulip of Calvinism. Okay, yes, you have to choose Christ, but what the Bible teaches is that number one, nobody chooses Christ unless God first chooses him, but number two, everyone that God chooses will choose Christ. Yes, it's a paradox, but that is the clear teaching of the scripture. So we looked at three verses that suggest, well, if this wishy-washy, not talking about mechanisms of salvation, but other principles, doxologies, other rulings, yes, God wills, you know, would love all men to come to Christ, but it just doesn't happen. Why? Because all of us are condemned from hell. None of us seek God. Only those who come to God, uh, only those who God chooses come to God, and those whom God chooses will all come to God. So this raises up and gives us that last point. Why then would we bother spending our time preaching? Everyone's going to come to God. It's going to come to God. Okay, because once again, you have failed to read your Bible. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 17. This is the distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in riches who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed this report? For faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. While God is the one who chooses us, it is the general call, the preaching to the whole world that God uses to call us. We are commanded to preach the gospel. We preach the gospel to all people. Those whom God has chooses transforms our heart. Those whom God's heart transforms, they now seek Christ. No one seeks Christ without God, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why preach if God chooses us? Because we are commanded to, because God uses the general call, the preaching of the gospel in order to transform the souls. That is why. So, longer daily walk than I like to do, but I hope it was interesting for you. I'll have all of these verses listed down below, and I will have a link to both of those books that I listed down below as well. Thank you for watching, and I hope that you enjoy your daily walk. And our Lord. Thank you for tuning in. Our Walk in Christ podcast is a listener-supported presentation. For more information about how you can help, check out ourwalkinchrist.com forward slash support or our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Tom M. That's T-O-M-M. Digital and paperback books are available on several online bookstores or at our website. Once again, the website is ourwalkinchrist.com.